Open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter number 7. 2 Kings chapter number 7. You find it on the left side of your Bible. What we call the Old Testament or the Original Testament. Testament is an interesting word we don't use very often uh, nowadays unless you're in the court of law. We use the word testimony. Uh, it's the same scenario. It's where we get the word testament. Uh, testimony is your take on something. It's, it's what you claim as, meaning uh, if, if you uh, uh, are married to somebody, then your testimony is, I am taken, I am spoken for. So the original testimony of God, the original testament that God sent down, that began uh, with Abraham, uh, that original testimony is the testimony that we are the seed of Abraham. Now we, if you're a Gentile, if you're not born uh, Hebrew or born Jewish, then you are a seed of Abraham by faith. Uh, you remember the song we used to sing in, in, in Sunday school, uh, Father Abraham had many sons, and, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. If you don't have anything to praise the Lord about, you can praise the Lord because you have been grafted in uh, as a seed, as the seed of Abraham, which means that you are now, uh, you have the opportunity to gravitate to all the blessings of Abraham. So it's important uh, to know your scripture because if you know what the word says, then you can apply the word. Now, uh, there's a lot of people that read the Bible like a historical novel. And, and that's true, it is a historical novel. Uh, but uh, on the exact same time, it is the Word of life. It is a living, breathing entity. The Word of God does not change. Uh, but if you will change your life uh, uh, by getting shaped and molded by the Word of God, then you can experience things uh, that the Word of God talks about. But in 2 Kings chapter number 7, we see uh, four lepers. And the Bible says that they're sitting at a gate in the middle of a famine, in the middle of hard times, in the middle of a difficult situation. Uh, and they just decide that they're not satisfied with that situation. Uh, some of you are in a situation right now. You've been there longer than you'd like to be. You've been there longer than you'd appreciate. You wish sooner or later, or you wish sooner than later, this thing had already moved, but it hasn't moved yet. You feel like I don't understand why I have to keep going through the same thing over and over and over again. Did you know that David killed a giant named Goliath, but then he also had to kill Goliath's brothers? Sometimes you go through something, then you go through it again, and it has a lot to do with the fact that God realizes He can trust you to take care of that situation. The moment that He realizes that you're not going to doubt and backslide in that situation is the moment that you are appointed and now you have the opportunity to be used by God in that same situation again. If you would look at the level of your trial as the level of trust that God has for you, then you would be going at it through a different stage. Do you remember the scripture says that the devil was going to and fro, and he comes before the Lord, and he says, uh, God says to him, he says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just going around seeing who I can destroy, basically. And God says, well, why don't you consider my servant Job? Now, if you don't have a revelation, you get kind of bent with God and you say, why would God sick the devil on Job? I beg to differ. The Bible recognized that, uh, God recognized that Job was not a doubter. God recognized that Job was not the guy that was going to doubt him and, and get filled with unbelief in the valley. God recognized that Job was his friend. God recognized Job was his servant. And he just double dog dared the devil to go and mess with somebody who wouldn't doubt, who would hold true in the fire, who wouldn't back up whenever all things began to get difficult. And 
Job, the Bible said, before that book was finished being written, uh, received double everything that the devil stole from him. But you and me, uh, listen, uh, uh, we're in church on a Sunday morning, uh, even after the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. Uh, so we're here on the early service, so I know I'm not talking to anybody in the building, but there are people that, that get to the point where whenever something comes on them, they start shaking their fist at God instead of shaking the Word of God at the devil and saying, you will get your hands off of my life, you will get your hands off of my family, I will not be dismayed and I will not stop moving forward and I don't care what you throw at me. The moment you get that kind of a revelation, you become unstoppable. You become an overwhelming force in the body of Christ. The devil get listen to me, it's best said like this. You get too expensive to steal from. I was sitting here just a minute ago, and I was praying, and I was thinking about my grandfather. And I was thinking about that land uh, that was stolen from him and that money that was stolen from him. And I wrote it down right here in my little book because I write a lot of stuff down. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, sevenfold all that oil money that was stolen from my family is coming back because the enemy stole from my family. You believe it, you can receive it. You don't believe it, I can't speak to it. But I can tell you this much. The more aggressive you get in the trial, the more aggressive you get at the one who's causing the pain, the greater victory that you'll experience. 2 Kings chapter number 7, verse number 3. There were four leprous men, there were four lepers, entering in, uh, at the entering end of the gate, and they said to one another, meaning they were sitting in the gate, why should we sit here and die? They were just fed up. They were starving, they were uh, probably constantly over... Did you know if you're a beggar, a famine is like ten times worse than if you're not a beggar? Because literally, you're planning on eating the excess of everybody else. You're planning on eating the extra food that everybody has. So if there's a famine, there's no extra food. So the lepers are starving... Everybody's making a decision. I can't go feed the lepers anymore. I've got to make sure my babies have bread. So there's this great famine in the land. And all of a sudden, the lepers, uh, the four men who had leprosy, they just start getting sick of it. They just say, you know what, devil? I'm just sick of this. I'm not going to sit here and sulk anymore. I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself anymore. I'm not going to sit here and blame my grandma and my cousin and, and, and Uncle uh, uh, Ned and, and Uncle Uncle Fester. I'm, I'm just not blaming anybody else. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to move and I'm going to take a step of faith. That's what God says to us today. He's looking there going, well, I wish somebody would get up and take a step of faith. Because the moment somebody begins to take a step of faith, let me tell you what happens. God begins to get in those steps. So the Bible says the four leprous men were sitting there at the gate and they said, "Uh, what are we going to do, just sit here and die? If we say we'll enter into the city, then the famine is in the city. Meaning if we go into this town, it's just sick. Some of you need to quit talking to the people that can't help you about the situation that you need help with. They said, should we walk into the place where there's sickness, where there's disease, where there's stinking thinking, where there's no money, where there's no food? Should I go in there and tell all my problems to that situation? Or should I rise up and try to find a solution? So they said, you know what, I'm not going, we're not going to the place where there's famine. We'll just die if we go in there. And then they said, if we sit here, we're going to die. Now, therefore, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. So here's what happened. 
It's outside of Samaria, and the Syrians had made a camp. They were threatening to, to, to attack the Samarians. Uh, they were threatening to basically take over all of Israel. That's what they were trying to do constantly. Uh, so they'd set up camp outside the city. And, and the, the, the leprous men said, well, let's just go and, and, and give ourselves over to them. And they said, because maybe they'll save us and we'll be alive. But if they kill us, we're going to die here anyway. You know, there's a situation where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in a fiery furnace. But they didn't get in that fiery furnace because they were bad people. They got in that fiery furnace simply because they trusted and believed God above all else. They trusted and believed God without the surety that that fire would not consume them. The way I know it is because they said it like this. Whenever uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said to him, he said, We're going to chunk you in the fire. We're going to throw you in there. And we're going to burn you to a popcorn crisp. You're going to be like those burnt kernels that taste so bad in the bottom of the popcorn. You're going to be so burnt, you little, you little Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego popcorn piece. We're going to burn you guys. You're just, you're, we're going to smoke you. You're just going to be like a smoked chicken. We're going to fry you like, like, like chicken fried steak. I'm talking about we're about to cook you, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said this. They said, our God can deliver us. And He will deliver us. My favorite verse in the Bible. But if He doesn't, we're not bowing to you, you demon-filled rascal. I added the demon-filled rascal part. That's not in the King James. He said, we are not going to bow to you. These lepers said the same thing. We may die, but we are going to take a step of faith. There are things in this life that we don't understand. It's getting difficult. It's getting more difficult to explain them, to be honest with you, to your children and things like that. But at the same time, we have to be so persistent and consistent with our faith that we choose to say, I'm going to take a step of faith And I believe this will be my result. But if I do not, God is still on the throne and I'm not backing down. The moment you make that kind of decision is the moment God begins to get right in the middle of those steps of faith. I remember as a young child, I've shared this story before, but it might be worth sharing again. I remember as a young child, we had this house that we bought uh, from some friends. It was a wonderful house. It was the first time I had my own bedroom. Uh, and I was about seven or eight years old. And, and the guy, uh, so we went and, and, and we're seeing the house for the first time. I never forget my parents blindfolded us and, and drove us all through town and acted like we were driving a long ways. The house is only like three or four blocks from our old house. So they drove a long way trying to confuse us. And we got there and they walked us up in there and they walked each one of us into our room. and said, one, two, three, take your blindfold off. And we took the blindfold off and, oh, man, oh, this, this is our house. We're so excited. I was in my room. And, and, and so uh, the, the guy whose room I was getting is a very close family friend. Uh, his name was Eric. Uh, uh, he says, he goes, man, you're going to love my room. And I was like, yeah, I got these windows over here. I got these windows over here. It's big. It's right by the bathroom, everything like that. And he said to me, he goes, he goes there's only one problem. I said, what's the problem? It's a great looking room. He said, the devil lives in the closet. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I come from a faith-filled family. 
But it freaked me out down to my knees, man. I was like, what did you say? And then he went on to describe it. He goes, yeah. He said, every night he comes right out of a hole in the floor. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I was just, I was beside myself, you know, seven, eight-year-old boy. I made the mistake, as brothers often do, of sharing too much information with my older brother. My older brother, I would go every night, and before I turn the light out, I'd shut that closet door, because, you know, the devil can't go through a closet door. That's obvious. <laughs> Some mean brothers, man. So I, I shut the door, and I'd turn the light out, and I'd run like my feet were on fire and jump in that bed. Because the other thing is, is, when you get under the covers, you're completely safe also. So I'd get under the covers. And I remember one time, my brother said, what are you doing? I said, man, I said, i got to tell you this. He said, I don't want you to be scared, okay? My older brother. I said, I don't want you to be scared. I said, but turns out, the devil lives in my closet. <laughs> he goes, really? I said, really? I said, yeah, every night he comes out. And if I have that door shut, good to go. If I don't have that door shut, whew, who knows? Poke me with that pitchfork or something, I don't know. Then all of a sudden, my brother used to tell me goodnight. He never told me goodnight after, before that. But he made it a point every night to tell me goodnight. He'd go and he'd open my door. He'd say, goodnight, Brian. And he'd slide that closet door open and go to his room. I said, oh my goodness, and I'd have to get up in the, you know, in the dark and go and close the closet door. Until one day, I said, that's it. I'm not going to be scared. If I see him, I see him. Mom and Dad told me, that the name of Jesus is above every name that can be named. And I can tell sickness to get out of my body. And I can tell the devil to get away from me. And when I'm scared, I can say the name of Jesus. And I would do that all the time. And I just said, that's it. Tonight is the night. I'm not spending one more night in fear. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not going to live in fear. And I got up in the darkness and I went over to that room that my brother had opened the door. And I got in that closet and I shut the door and I sat down. I said, devil, if you're here, you're not staying because me and Jesus are taking this place over never saw him by the way <laughs> I'm glad of that those lepers got to a point where they said not one more day am I going to sit here I was just a young boy but that stuck with me for my whole life and I've made it a point when I sense fear when I sense doubt and unbelief rising up on the inside of me I just choose to be more aggressive by faith than the thing that's trying to bring fear and doubt on my life. The Bible says they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they got to the uttermost part of the camp, behold, there was no one there. There was not one person in the camp. They began to walk towards the Syrian camp at dark. Just when it was getting dark. Some of you guys, it's just getting darker and you're trying to figure out why. I'm just asking you to take a step. It could be a little step. It could be calling that loved one that you haven't had good relationship with for five years. And it just seems to be getting darker. I'm just asking you to take a step. It could be waking up with the same symptom. It could be anything from arthritis to the common cold. I'm just asking you to take a small step of faith. Every single journey begins with one step. They began to walk. And the Bible says in verse number 6, 
the Lord made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host, an army. And they said one another, the Syrians said, Oh my goodness, the king of Israel has hired the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents, their horses, their asses, even the camp as it was, and they fled for their life. Very interesting. The verse, the chapter right before this, the Bible says that the Syrians were coming to try to kill the prophet Elisha. And they were encompassing Elisha where he was. And Elisha was cool as a cucumber. Because there's a place in God where you get, where you just know, if the devil tries something with me, he's going to have to pay it back. It's almost good news when you get attacked. Don't twist that. Don't get it. Don't misunderstand that. But if he's going to be so stupid, and here's where the doctrine comes in. Is everybody with me? Not if you're with me. Here's where the doctrine comes in. You have to know that it's not God's will for you to lack or to be sick or any of those other things. Because if you don't know that, then you'll start blaming God. You'll start saying things like this. Everything happens for a reason. That's almost true. Everything happens because of a reason. Everything happens for a reason might be because there's sin in this world. Because there is a devil that doesn't like you, that wants you to die early. Because if you'll die early, that's a lot of people that might not hear the gospel from your lips. He's aggressive. I didn't come in here to talk about this this morning, but... He's very serious about you. Now, the beauty of us is we don't fight like uh, uh, with flesh and blood. We fight on our knees. We fight lifting up the name of Jesus. We fight with getting our uh, believing in line with God's Word. We fight, but we have to be aggressive along the way. So the Scripture says that they left with everything. One chapter before, Elisha was there and all the Syrians, the same guys, they were around him. And they were encompassing him. And the, and the Bible says that uh, Elisha's servant was terrified. Elisha said, you don't understand. He said, there's far more for us than there are against us. Did you know one-third of heaven was cast out? Which means two-thirds of heaven is still on your side. He said, there's more for us than against us. And then he prayed. He said, oh, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he might see what I see. And he prayed. And when he did, that servant's eyes were open. And he saw just a mighty host of horses and chariots just ready and willing to wipe them out like that. That's the host that the Syrian camp heard. I find it very interesting, though. The servant didn't at first see with his eyes because we don't live by what we see, we live by faith. And the scripture says here that the Syrians heard the noise of chariots, but it doesn't say the four lepers did. You're going to start taking some steps of faith and you might not hear anything different. You're going to start taking some steps of faith and you might not see anything different. 
But if you will not grow weary in well-doing, if you will keep pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ, by the time you get to the enemy's camp, here's what you're going to find out. According to Exodus chapter 23, the Bible says that God will become an adversary to your adversary. You're going to find out the battle has already been won. You're not going to have to pull out your physical sword. You're going to be swinging your spiritual sword with every step of faith you take. And when you do, and when you do, your loved ones will see it. Your loved ones will hear about it. And the goodness of God will continue to flow out of you like a river. And hundreds and thousands will be one to God just because you've decided to take a step of faith when you can't see why or where. They rose and fled, verse 8. When the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent. And they ate and drank. They, could, they couldn't even find a bite to eat where they were. God has a place of blessing for you. He carried, they carried the silver and golden raiment went and hid it. They came again and entered into another tent and carried that too. And they went and hid that. They were thinking, man, we're just going to have to hide everything we got. Then they said one to another, it's not well this day that we have such good tidings. And we hold our peace. We don't tell anybody. If we tarry here till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, that we may go and tell the king's household. And what they did is they went back to the city. They went back to the place that they had to just take some steps and get away from. And they blessed the whole town with plenty to eat, with gold and silver. What am I saying? I'm saying there's some things and some people that you might have to walk away from by faith. But God will send you back with great possessions in order to bless them, in order to pull them out of a situation that they cannot pull themselves out of. For them, it was physical possessions. For you, you might just begin to possess peace. You might begin to possess hope. You might begin to possess joy. But the difference is, you can only distribute what you possess. That means, if I don't own it, I can't give it to you. So if I don't own it, I can't help you. But if I own it, Jesus said it like this, My peace I give to you. And not like the world's peace. He said, My peace I'm not going to take away. The only way that he could even give us that peace was the fact that he owned the peace. Some of you are going to possess a new spirit of kindness. You say, I've never been, you know, I've always had a temper. Well, great, you used to have a temper. How about that? Some of you say, you know what, I just, I'm always frustrated. I'm always uptight. I'm just, I'm just this. No, 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 no. You're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. You walk in the peace of God, the love of God, the joy of God. You're going to go back to those places of famine. Once you have all those things under your tutelage, under your possession, you're going to go back to those things and you're going to say, Uncle Fester, I know you don't like me, but as I, I just had to tell you that I love you. 
and I've been praying for you. I don't need you praying for me. I think you do. You're going to sit down and write a note to your mother-in-law. Throw the first one away. You're going to write a note to your mother-in-law. I just wanted to tell you how thankful I am that you raised such a godly son. She didn't have anything to do with it. It's not about her. It's about you. You're taking something to a place of famine. You have a relationship that would die on the vine if you do not feed it. Do you remember what Jesus said? They hated me. They're going to hate you. Can we please get over ourselves and stop acting so offended when the person at McDonald's rolls their eyes at you instead of saying thank you for buying french fries? Can we please get over ourselves just enough that we decide that what we carry is more valuable than the grudge that somebody else is carrying with us and we are called to be distributors of faith hope and love in this realm. There's nothing like God. There's nothing like Jesus. Who hangs on a cross? Who gets nailed? Nobody's ever driven nails into my hand. But I promise you, my knee jerk probably wouldn't be, Dad, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is who we serve, and He is our example of how we are to serve. Some of you didn't sign up for that side of Christianity, I know. Wait a minute now. Yeah. But if you want to walk into an empty camp, where God has already defeated your adversary and laid up the riches of the wicked for you to come and put your hands on, if you want to walk in that kind of faith, it takes taking a step of faith and then taking another step of faith when you can't hear the chariots, you can't see the chariots. All you know is the Bible's true and He said, if God be for us, then who can stand against us? I'm going through things all the time. I don't mind telling you. Somebody cut me off in traffic the other day. And I had to quick stop Crystal from cussing them out. Make sure she doesn't hear this, brother. Thank you. That's not true. I'm going through things like everybody. Nobody's immune. All I'm telling you is don't quit. You know, David's rocks wouldn't have done him any good in his little pouch. He had to throw one. One with issue of blood would have died sick if she'd have let those people in between her and Jesus stop her. We got to get really, really good at taking steps of faith. One more point, then I'm going to close. Help me say this, Lord. There's a grace that a lot of people never experience. And I believe it grieves the Lord 
But it's a grace. That only comes when the people coming against you are wrong and you choose to forgive them without making them pay for it. I'm going to forgive them, God. But first let me tell them. Listen. I forgive you, but you gotta know. You should have never ever. You, what were you even thinking? I mean, I forgive you and all, but yeah, I'm telling you, you. Do you know how you made me feel? Do you know how you made me feel? Can I just say this? Anytime you start throwing the word I and me in there, and it's not saying I forgive you, it's saying I need this, then all of a sudden you are saying that the grace of God is not sufficient in your life because you need somebody else's grace to make you feel somehow uh, vindicated. His grace is more than sufficient. But there's another level. Some of you have really been hurt. I'm getting this real strong right now. Really hurt. And I'm not diminishing that at all. Huh. Some of your parents hurt you bad. May have been years ago. Did you know your physical health is tied to how you honor your parents? Your physical health is tied to how you honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. May go well with you. The problem with honoring your parents is this. You grow up. And then you have kids. And you can look back at some of the mistakes that maybe your mom and dad made with you that you couldn't see when you're a child because you're just a child. But then you look back and you see, man, they should have never said that. They should have never done that. They should have never put me in that environment. I should have never been exposed to that at that age. Hmm. But the problem is, you've got to honor them because the Bible says it. I, I'm not saying you've got to have lunch with them every day. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe in Jesus' name you will be one day. You got to let this stuff go. And quit thinking they have to pay for it. Some of them are in the grave. People are already still trying to hold it over their head. There's no shame in heaven. We're not holding anything over them. But if you'll get good at forgiving without making somebody pay for it, what if, what, what, what if when we get to heaven, Jesus goes like this? All right. <clears throat> Johnny, your name's in here, so don't get nervous. You're in the book. You're fine. So I'm going to forgive you. That's going to happen. I, I'm going to forgive you. Relax. I'm going to forgive you. But I'd like to itemize your sins and discuss every one of them before I do. I, no, thank you. <laughs> he just forgives. Before I cast your sin, as far as the east is from the west, can we just discuss them for about an hour and a half? 
No. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do, they're doing. There is a grace that when you forgive without making somebody pay for it, you start to act like Jesus really acted. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, give us that grace. Give us that ability to forgive like you've called us to. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that we would experience your word every day. That as we even in the midst of the twilight hour, as we are taking steps of faith, we're making, some of us are making big decisions right now. As we're making big decisions, as we're walking by faith, I thank you for getting involved in our steps, for chasing our adversary, the devil, away from us, for blessing us, for giving us peace that we can possess. And carry back and bring other people out as well. Now I'm going to ask a question. I'd ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads. Because I'm going to pray one more prayer here. But if somebody has hurt you. And you say, you know what? Maybe it's your parents. I'm really getting that strong this morning. But... Somebody has hurt you. And you know you just need to let it go. I'm not going to call you to the front. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment. As a sign of surrendering that thing to God. And just saying, Lord, I've been hurt. Maybe it was a child. One of your kids. You're just going to let it go today. You're just going to let that thing go. Some of you, husband and wife, together, you were hurt together. But it's coming off of you today in the name of Jesus. You're not going to carry around that guilt, that shame. You're not what they said you are. You are going to make it. You are going to go to new heights. You are going to be a blessing. You are going to see the hand of God move in your life. You will see your family serve God. You will experience the things of God. If that's you and you know you've been hurt and you just want to give it to the Lord this morning by faith, I just want you to lift your hand right now. There's hands all over the building. You can put them down. Let's all stand to our feet. Internationally, if you put your hands up, that means I surrender. That means I, I don't want to fight anymore. So as a sign of how we're feeling, I'm asking everybody that's comfortable with it, just lift your hands while we pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
By faith, we give you all the hurt that's been caused in our life. Father, we by faith forgive that person or those persons. That person who took advantage long before it should have happened. We forgive them by faith. I command the devil to come off of God's people in the name of Jesus. That doubt would be removed. That self-value and self-worth based on the righteousness of Christ will be the knee-jerk thought in the mind of your people. That we are forgiven and freely, freely we forgive those who have hurt us. If you can use anyone, Lord, we would ask that you would use us in some way to draw them to you, to your gospel, and to your kingdom. But by faith, we forgive them today. There it is, coming off of you right there. No more burden. No more heaviness. No more sorrow in the night. God says, I'm turning your frustration into compassion. You'll be able to see with eyes like I see where it's more difficult to be frustrated with somebody because of how compassionate you are for them. In the name of Jesus. If you receive that, say, I receive in Jesus' name. Now give God one hand of praise. Thank you, Lord.